We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we get into the Hornets' win over Sacramento, share our thoughts on the upcoming West Coast road trip, and answer some listener questions concerning the future of this Charlotte Hornets team. All that up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. All right, everyone, welcome into another Buzz Beat. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian today. Spencer is out uh, because recently he got his wisdom teeth taken out, Brian. Um, it feels like most people that do that, uh, that usually comes in high school or maybe college, and, and not to age Spencer here, but he's definitely some years removed from high school. <laughs> uh, BG, have you had your wisdom teeth taken out, or, or are you one of the rare yeah. ones that didn't have to? No, I had my wisdom teeth pulled out in high school. It was actually, it was during the summertime though, but it was right around when my high school, like we had our, the basketball camp mm-hmm. at Mount Tabor. And, uh, I remember trying like, yeah, I couldn't, you couldn't play for like a day after that. But then the next day I tried to play and, uh, I shouldn't have done that. I was like still like a, like a space cadet at practice uh, or at camp. And I remember, uh, one of our coaches coming over to me and saying, Hey, Brian, why don't you just go sit over on the bleachers here for the rest of the, <laughs> for the rest of today's uh, tonight's events here. So, um, yeah, that, that certainly takes me back to, to think about that, but yes, I've had them out. Okay. I've had, I think, basically any kind of like oral surgery that you can have. Like, I've probably had it at some point. Yeah, it's just odd to me that Spencer's doing it now. Like, I wonder, like, maybe they were okay when he was in high school and college, and, and all of a sudden, maybe it, like it's it's affecting him. I guess at this point, but yeah, the sooner, yeah, and the earlier, you, like, the earlier you get them out, generally the better, right? Before they become impacted, but. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a, to a a friend a couple months ago and she was describing that uh, it was like she in high school went in to get her four wisdom teeth yanked out. Uh, They could only take two of them out. And so she came out of anesthesia with them saying, yeah, we could only get two of these teeth out. And now the the other two are causing her a great deal of discomfort. So uh, just get them out whenever you can, I guess, is the lesson to be learned there. But I, I, I texted you guys. I also have a vivid memory of this. <laughs> it was like I was being catered to. Uh, it was in high school at some point. It, it might have been over summer like you where my parents wanted to do it where it wasn't affecting school that much. But I just remember drinking smoothies all day and playing NBA Street too, and just, you know, <laughs> laid out on a, a recliner being catered to. It was it actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be in terms of just like the after effects. If anyone is going to have anything go wrong in my family, it's always my brother. It's always my brother. Like he, my parents would always tell me he would always get ear infections and it would always be something that went wrong as a complication. So when he got his wisdom teeth taken out, he was on medicine, pain medicine a little bit longer than I was. And yeah, it, it, it always happens with him. So I'm very fortunate with that. Honestly, sitting on the couch playing video games sounds Sounds pretty nice, honestly, yeah. at this point yeah. right now. Yeah. My uh, my video gaming has gone downhill over the years, and now that I have a two-year-old, yeah. it's pretty much out the window. I, I do have a system sitting over there, <laughs> yeah. but uh, 
it doesn't yeah. get used much. Okay, let's get into the Charlotte Hornets and their win against the Kings. Uh, this marked the fourth straight win for this Charlotte team and now has them sixth overall or tied for fifth, if you want to consider it that way as well in the East at a record of 20 and 18. It's crazy to think that uh, this late in the season, if you want to call it late in the season, that this team is two games over 500. But, you know, watching the game, Brian, it definitely wasn't a pretty win by any means for Charlotte. And one of the biggest reasons, again, this is something that we've talked about in the past, is perimeter defense was definitely lacking. And I know that you have to give credit to De'Aaron Fox. Like, he's just such a quick lightning bug type of player that can just get you off your your balance and he can get into the teeth of the defense pretty easily it's hard to stay in front of him and you know but again this just highlights the need for this team to have perimeter defenders in the biggest way in sacramento in the first quarter i made a note of this had 12 made baskets within four feet of the hoop that that's one a minute brian one a minute yeah. at that point really there was no need for that team to start taking shots from deep but having said all that you know one player that kind of stepped up out of necessity was was cody martin um in games like this you need a player like him and yes it might be a very situational type of thing but he had several nice one-on-one -on -one possessions on defense, including one late uh, in the third quarter against De'Aaron Fox. So, Brian, obviously they won the game, and they need to win some ugly games like this if they're going to contend and, and then stay in that 6th, 7th, 8th spot. But, man, it still highlights some of the deficiencies this team has on the defensive side of the court. Yeah, like they're just – they're going to be that way on that side of the court all 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 season. It's, it's pretty obvious. Um, and I think the hope is that while this is not an elite offense, I do think last night was like a blueprint of sorts for them to like win ugly. Like you can have some games like you do, like the Hornets did Saturday night against Toronto where they just, they, they, this team shoots a lot of above the break threes and they force turnovers. And because of those two things, like every couple of games or every, you know, once every two weeks worth of games or a week and a half or whatever, like they can, they can have one of those explosive games where just like they get rocking and rolling and it's, it's really fun. Now we know that's not like a baseline level for them, um, nor is it really for, for most basketball teams. And, and last night was one of those games where you're just like, I know there's no real perimeter stoppers on this team, you know, Malik Monk and Cody Martin specifically, I think, have their moments where they, they can be good point of attack defenders. We know how like Miles and LaMelo to a lesser extent can like make an impact as team defenders and help defenders. And I, I think we saw there are several good examples of that with with Miles again last night. Mm -hmm. But there aren't there aren't many stoppers on this roster. They play backcourts that are smaller. They play smaller. Their the their best rim protector is a six seven guy uh, like Miles. They just don't have any of the components to really stop that. And um, and they're also like geared towards trying to force turnovers and and, and take gambles and and that's going to leave you exposed for stuff too. But their like win ugly formula is like keep things close. And at the end of the game, try to let your let your guards, your your playmakers take over. They're probably getting a fair amount of shooting luck. And we can talk about the clutch numbers if we want. Like they are far and away the best clutch offense in the league so far. They're shooting above 53 percent on clutch threes this season after shooting uh, well above 40 percent a season ago. So there's likely to be some regression. But uh, but yeah, the, the, the hope is that just like because on offense, you're taking enough threes and enough shots at the rim. The math is going okay for you in that direction in that as long as you force some turnovers at the other end, you know, maybe you can just keep things close. And then when you do force those turnovers, you're just really efficient in transition, which they've been so far this year. So in, until they really like, there's no way, I don't think there's a way for you to like scheme this defense better. Mm -hmm. I thought Rosier had a couple really bad defense possessions last night, including one trying to like chase Fox around a screen that was bad. And then there was another like one-on-one -on -one play with uh, maybe it was Barnes. I'd have to check my notes, but, uh, but, but yeah, but like, you know, Terry's out there to gun and, and, and shoot threes. So they're limited in terms of personnel mm -hmm. at every line of the court defensively with 
an exception here or there, uh, but it is not enough. The fact that this team is like 17th in, in defense, despite the fact that they give up this many looks at the rim in this many corner threes is like kind of a miracle. Honestly, you look up and down the stat line of this game and, and, Almost every single one favors the Sacramento Kings. And you look back on it and you're just like, how did Charlotte win another game against Sacramento late? And, you know, two miracles in a row. You talk about the clutch shooting numbers and just the clutch play overall. You know, when this team gets down towards the end of the game, they have players that are fearless. They have players that are going to step up and they aren't afraid to take a shot uh, when they need to. And obviously Terry Rozier is a big role, a big player in that clutch shooting, but also Devontae Graham as well. He hit one late uh, in the fourth quarter. It was a catch and shoot three to cut the lead to 110-108. And Devontae Graham, you know, embracing his new role coming off the bench. It's never easy to do that because, you know, his first year obviously didn't get a lot of play in the beginning of the year, but started to see some play towards the end of his rookie year. Last year, he was in the conversation for the most improved player overall as a starter 10 games into the season. And then this year, he's also been on a roller coaster starting, not starting. Basically, he lost his position due to injury. I mean, obviously, I think LaMelo was going to take over his spot anyway. But, you know, you've always talked about it. His his best role on this team is, is, is a gunner off the bench, coming off the bench, being the mm-hmm. player that can play on the ball, off the ball. And he definitely hit some clutch shots. And I think him and Rozier are statistically, going back to last season, the two best players in crunch time for Charlotte. I think Graham finished with 12 points and all of those were off of made three-pointers. So yeah, definitely embracing this role off the bench. And, and that's been a common theme for for anyone on this team this season. Yeah, Devontae, four threes last night and four assists. That's like just, it's perfect. It's like exactly the kind of like role you're expecting him to play. If you're looking at the four factors just for last night, if we're focusing on the, for scaling in from the macro and looking more mm-hmm. on the just last night, Charlotte probably had one of their better games in terms of like taking care of the basketball. Uh, just a seven, like if you're looking purely at four fact, the four, like, you know, we're looking, we're, going very basic and we're looking just at the four factors, which is always a, a valuable thing here to do. Um, they were certainly not as efficient shooting the basketball as Sacramento from the field, mm-hmm. but they got to the line more and they turned it over less and they won the offensive rebound rate battle too. Um, but yeah, it's the 7% turnover rate. That's gotta be one of their lowest numbers from this season. Only eight turnovers total, including just yeah, zero from LaMelo ball, zero turnovers in 25 and a half minutes last night. I did think it was cool last night. And I thought it spoke to what Richie, what you and what you Lee and, and, and myself, what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, where late games, the clutch offense, I mean, they're scoring 1.5 points per possession in, in, in clutch minutes, which is a lot of that is shooting luck. We all know that, like, you know, no doubt they're not a 55% three point <laughs> shooting team. And they just happen to be in this one, one sort of like assortment of uh, games and times and situations. But they have a good after timeout uh, drawing coach in, in James Rago that that is great at drawing ATOs and, and really has a as a an offense that is balanced and does a good job with misdirection and and, and decoys and and sort of like moving the pieces around and, and highlighting the best parts of his talent, which is part of the the San Antonio nature of his of his coaching background, but also like. You know, there are no all-star guards on this roster right now. I mean, LaMelo is, projects to be a, a multi-time all-star uh, probably sooner rather than later, but it's not even there yet. But all these guys are really good. And I thought even if you want to, like, lump Hayward into this mixture, just, like, all of the ball handlers for Charlotte last night, like, took turns mm-hmm. where for a couple minutes it was Malik Monk dominating. Then it was Devontae Graham got hot. Then it was Gordon Hayward that had a moment. Then LaMelo at the start of the fourth quarter. Then Rozier hit some big threes late in the game. Um, and, and Terry, by the way, eight of eight from the line. Um, Hayward, five of five. And so just like, it's nuts because they have guys that probably can't like quite start to finish, just like Lord over every possession, you know, the way that like the best players in the world do, the way LeBron does, the way Jokic does. But they do have these guys that can just like, for, for stretches of time, they're good players, but then they can really just get hot and they're fearless. And I don't know, it's still, the backcourt still is like a little crowded. Like it's weird to see 
you know, Rozier played almost 34 minutes, but then you've got LaMelo at 25, Devontae 21, uh, Malik only 14, Cody Martin played almost 16. Like the, the Cody Martin minutes are, are interesting, yeah. but uh, he did play, he played well last night, but it just like, and, and I think some of that is situational and, and we sort of talked about, this is not a great perimeter defensive team. And, and so Cody is at least some effort perhaps to try and bolster that. But, uh, but I would like to see, I mean, I know Malik didn't have his, a, an amazing offensive game last night shooting the ball, but I did think his playmaking uh, was big um, four assists, two steals uh, was, was really helpful from uh, Malik on a night where he is not shooting that well for, for even Monk to, to contribute some. You're, you're talking about the ball handlers, the multiple playmakers, and I don't know if versatile is the right word, but there are definitely players that can play on and off the ball. And one of the biggest players that the Hornets went to a lot in that game, especially with the way that they were not converting from deep, especially early on, it just feels like all the shots were, were not falling for him. But the one player that they did go to a lot was Gordon Hayward. When things yes, aren't yeah. working well with this team, they have that guy to lean on. And I, I don't, I don't, I guess versatile is the right word. I think a lot of people hear the word versatile. They think of like these long rangy yeah. six, seven guys that can jump out of the gym, can guard four positions and stuff like that. But in terms of offensive profile, Gordon Hayward is as versatile as you can get. They used him a ton as a screener last night. You noted it on Twitter. I noted it on mm-hmm. Twitter as well. You know, as someone that works in the post, someone that works off of the screens, that is something that they can turn to when things aren't falling. They like to use it as a horn set, pistol set, get that smaller guy on his back. And he was able to do just that against Halliburton a couple times. Corey Joseph one or two times. I even asked him about this after the game, Brian, and and here's what he had to say. Yeah, just uh, they have some smaller guards, so trying to take take advantage of the, that matchup, um, really with just seals. I think if you can seal first in the post and try to get um, an easy layup, it's the best. That's the best offense in, in the post, as opposed to trying to make a meet, make a move or back somebody down. Gives them time to bump or switch or bring the double or whatever. So. Um, just something where we're screening below and, um, trying to get something easy. Yeah. So, so Hayward was five of seven at the rim versus Sacramento and, and maybe outside of that poster dunk on Fox, Brian, I, I would, I would have hmm. to assume maybe the other four makes were in the half court in those types of situations where he's sealing those you know, smaller guards on his back. Another small thing for this player that should not go unnoticed. And it's just another way Charlotte can use him uh, in, in this offense. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, according to synergy, Gordon Hayward shooting 61% on post-ups this season, uh, 1.35 points per possession. Uh, wow. Not a lot of those post-up possessions, but those are obviously on, on, a, on prob- perhaps a little bit. I mean, he's certainly not that good of a, an isolation post score, but those are really good on about 25 on about, yeah, about 25 possessions. Those are pretty good numbers for Hayward. Um, we've seen it this season early in the year. They went to the, the pick and roll where LaMelo's handling Gordon Hayward comes up. This is the Atlanta game yep, early yep. in the season. Hayward comes up, sets the screen. Look, are you, you don't want to switch Trey young on to Gordon Hayward. So because of that, you're going to show, well, then that's going to create a, a some space, right? And then we can, we can, uh, we can attack that space. Um, if you do switch, well, then we're going to go after whatever that matchup is. And you saw them do that last night. And so you described a couple of the ways they they've gone to it, but they've also used, uh, you saw it again last night and they've done this a dozen or so times this season, at least if not more, uh, we talked about this with Div a couple weeks ago, that like gut pin down. It was the first play of the, the third quarter yes, last night yes. where Hayward goes down. He screens for, that's a down screen for LaMelo. And that action is not designed to get LaMelo, you know, curling off a down screen for a jumper. Like Hayward's setting it flat too. It's literally so I can go down screen and seal. And, and then I even thought he had a nice counter in a play that I clipped and, and, and put on Twitter last night where it was the horn set where he screened in Sacramento, which was switching a lot of stuff last night. It was like they couldn't decide whether they wanted to switch or not. And he just ended up slipping back door to the hoop mm-hmm. for, a, for, for an alley-oop layup. And you're like, yeah, like that speaks to his versatility. He's a really smart offensive player. Like there really isn't anything offensively he can't do. Um, he's a, he's a pull-up shooter from every level. He's a catch and shoot guy. He can post, 
He can handle, he can pass. Like all of these situations where he has the ball in the half court, he can pass or shoot out of. And uh, and he can be a matchup beater. And so I thought as, as Charlotte was really against a switching defense, was really like leaning on matchups more last night than they do probably like uh, on a, on most most games. And uh, it's no surprise that Hayward was was heavily featured um, in, in that type of role and in those packages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, the only other notes that I have from this game that I thought were somewhat noteworthy, um, PJ Washington wasn't necessarily totally involved in this game um, in terms of just like putting up the numbers. I don't think he played a lot of minutes in this game, but one thing that I did notice from him a couple times, he made a couple of big to big passes uh, out of the post. And again, that's something that's always been within his game. You can feed him down in the post and it does draw attention from opponents and Miles Bridges um, and Cody Zeller at one point. I don't think Cody Zeller converted, maybe got fouled, but yeah, Miles Bridges a couple times cut to the basket and PJ finds the cutting Miles Bridges right there. And obviously the athleticism kind of takes over. And then speaking of Miles, again, you mentioned this earlier as we were talking about the Sacramento game in terms of being uh, in terms of making a weak side block or whatever. There was a play in the second quarter where I thought there was no chance that Miles was going to make this block. And he was it was almost like he was on the opposite block and the ball was obviously heading towards the hoop and he recovers to make this block on the backside that I just did not think he was going to make. So those are the other two things I just wanted to mention. Good passing from PJ Washington and obviously Miles Bridges with his athleticism, being able to kind of cover up for some of the mistakes that we have on the defensive side of the court. Yeah. PJ was awesome last, despite the foul trouble. Um, like he only got to play 26 minutes, still had hit a couple threes, had five assists, uh, only one turnover. We talk a lot about both the, the short roll passing from PJ and Miles. You saw that again with PJ. It was empty side ball screen. He caught a pass on a short roll. Then he flipped it over to Zeller, who got fouled. Um, and as we discussed earlier in the podcast, those free throws, that was a big source of offense and the big reason why Charlotte won this game uh, last night. And uh, yeah, PJ can just do can do basically everything. Or as like as like a very good role player, I guess is what I should say. I mean, he, like he, in terms of his own shot creation, he lacks there, but he can do a lot of other stuff. It's why I love him as a compliment to Lamelo. Um, it's why I was willing to ride with the struggles from early in the season, and I think he's played really well the last couple of games, going back to before the All Star break too. Um, maybe it's easy to say the the last Sacramento game when he went off for forty two, but I just think he's had some nice not just flashes like he's putting together these full games Mm -hmm. for Charlotte and um, he's a versatile offensive player. And obviously those lineups with him at, at five are, are, are huge for, for Charlotte. Um, You know, they, they like, they need minutes with him playing some center for them uh, basically every, basically every game. So PJ's talented. He can do a lot of stuff with the basketball and uh, maybe he's just sort of scratching the surface with some of this stuff. And I am very excited to see like how he and yeah. LaMelo can, uh, can sort of like grow and, and work. And I think that has a chance to be a, a very like fruitful partnership between those two guys 
uh, going forward. He's definitely showing signs of life in the past, like you said, three or four games for PJ. And uh, whether it's the three-point shooting, whether it's the fact that he's able to dribble the ball up the court and make a behind-the-back dribble and, and do everything so seamlessly, it's something that we were expecting out of him to begin the season. And it's funny, Borrego kind of hinted at it uh, in one of his recent media availabilities that PJ now has committed himself to the weight room and stuff like that, almost hinting, hey, maybe he was a little bit out of shape coming into the season. So that could be a reason why as to you know some of his early season struggles. So Brian, I, I think this win against the Kings, like you said, it was just, it was not a pretty one, but it was important for a variety of reasons. Mainly, um, if the Hornets want to be in a top six spot in the East, they're going to have to win games like this and games that they're supposed to. You know, on paper, they are a better team than Sacramento. But also, the Hornets have quite a schedule coming up. They have a back-to-back against the Nuggets and the Lakers on Wednesday, Thursday. Then they go play the Clippers, the Spurs, and then obviously the Rockets not doing so well. But with any West Coast trip, I think it's always difficult, Um, you know, obviously playing in, in different time zones and playing both LA teams on, on, you know, not consecutive nights, but in back-to-back games, even if they aren't playing their best basketball right now, it's tough. So those are five games that they're getting ready to play. What, what would you say is a success for this team of those five teams that we just mentioned? How many games do you think that they should get? Because to me, I, I think if they can get two wins and, you know, I'm not saying that's what I'm expecting, but if they can get two wins, maybe beat the Rockets who haven't won in a long, long time, and then maybe steal one from Denver or San Antonio and call it a day. I think coming out of this 22 and 21 out of the West Coast trip, I, I'd call that a victory. I would too. I mean, like, I kind of wish they had one more game on the West Coast swing just so I could cop out and say, like, oh, if they go 500, it's a win, right? You know, which they just did on the last the, the last six-game uh, Western Conference swing that they just went through before the All-Star break. I mean, Jokic is going to be a crisis matchup for them um, in moments when uh, Cody Zeller isn't on the court. And, like, the, the you know, Murray's going to be a tough matchup too. You know, I guess I, Anthony Davis is still out for the Lakers, right? So, like, maybe you're getting L, the L.A. at a slightly good time. But, no, I mean, like, the, I think the, you know, they should win Houston. San Antonio is a coin flip. And then the other, the two L.A. teams, although the Clippers did not look good Sunday night against the the Pelicans uh, with Zion playing very well. I would say, yeah, best case scenario, three and two. Yeah. Best scenario that's like, you know, there's like a, a semi-decent chance of happening. Yeah, probably two and two and three, which is why the win over Sacramento and in, uh, in Charlotte was so big for them too. If it, it can kind of get baked into that cake, yes. right? Yeah. Um, gives them a little bit more cushion before they head out West. Yeah, and I was watching the, uh, the Knicks and the Nets game last night, just because obviously the Knicks and the Hornets are kind of right neck and neck in the Eastern Conference. And uh, mm-hmm. for Hornets fans, uh, obviously you guys are probably happy to hear that the Nets beat the Knicks the other night. And uh, it was kind of a controversial ending. I don't know if you saw the, the Julius Randle travel no call where he went up for a three-pointer and it was Kyrie that knocked the ball loose in his hands. But it was weird because like, it, didn't, it didn't look like he lost possession by any means, Brian. So it looked like an up and down, but because Kyrie knocked it I don't know exactly the the you know the letter of the law there but uh it definitely was controversial and Julius Randle was like throwing not throwing chairs but he was definitely frustrated but good news Hornets are up yeah, I think no, the game on them Yeah no surprise uh Scott Foster doing some questionable stuff while officiating <laughs> uh, a basketball game uh, You are right Brian Scott Foster definitely finds himself uh in some kind of controversy uh with a lot of these calls and it's funny I just looked up the last 2 minute report and the call was correct. So he w- he was correct. Uh, I, gu- I guess because the ball, even though it was touched, it was not dislodged or loose. So let's go ahead and get to the Twitter questions here to wrap up the episode. Uh, the first question, this one will probably be pretty brief. Any word on Richards or Carey and if they will start to get any minutes? James Brago said recently that he hasn't ruled them out by any means for the future, but he also said that they aren't in the rotation at the moment. I think to keep players fresh and ready, they may be used in you know in future games, but I think outside of an injury, I really only see spot minutes for them here and there. 
do you see a need to play these two at all? And I know this next question that we're going to kind of get into about PJ at the five probably will correlate with this, but do you see any need to play Richards or Carey at this point? You know, only from uh, if you think it'll help, you know, their development. It's good that they both went down there and got mm-hmm. some game action under their belt. But no, I don't think there's there's any need. And, and it both, I mean, like, I am hoping to, once the college basketball season is over, do like a, a bigger dive on what went down in the G League bubble, including with the specifically with the Swarm and with the uh, the G League Ignite. It looked like Grant Riller put up some nice numbers down there and shot 46% on threes, which is honestly what I care about more than either of these two centers. Um, I'm a a little intrigued about Vernon Carey Jr., though I don't think he offers, even as like a, a big man, because he is not like a, a rim protector and like a real, real force at the the rim. Um, though, he, you know, he, he's big and tall. He can do some of that. But like, I, I even think his sort of like archetype as a big man isn't even exactly what this roster needs all that much. Though perhaps like um, it, it could be beneficial for them down the line. But as far as like this season goes, um, I, I don't really see either of these guys helping out all that much. Richards can block a shot, but I just don't think he's certainly ready, not ready to play like NBA level defense at the moment. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Neither of these guys are ready, especially considering where the Hornets are right now. Uh, and in the moment, they're in, they're in sixth place in the East. If they happen to be like in ninth or tenth, I, I think the conversation would definitely shift. And speaking of centers, uh, PJ Washington to me is basically our backup center. The next question that comes in is talking just about that according to basketball reference pj washington has played 53 percent of his time at power forward and 47 percent of his time at center what do you guys think about that split and would you like to see it change in either direction next season well clearly pj is playing some center i think a lot of times out of necessity in terms of just Mm -hmm. the way that our depth is we have depth but again like we just mentioned two of those players just aren't ready for the nba level at this point um i I do think it's working uh, with him at the five but i also think bg i would like to see that number go down next year and i think if we do get more competent centers i think that it would go down jb probably thinks that pj gives the hornets the best shot when they play him at 5 but you know long stretches with the 5 with biz just haven't been working and the rookies like we mentioned on the previous question I think maybe kind of find a happy medium between what he played his rookie season and what he played this year. So maybe maybe instead of playing 47% of his time at the center position, maybe get it closer to a third, you know, 33% of his time. Um, yeah. But again, this all goes back to depth. If they have depth at the center position and they draft a, a, a good center or they trade for a center or they get a center in free agency, PJ's not forced to play the five, even though it is beneficial at times. Yeah, I my hopes about them considering where their draft range is going to be about getting That's this true. level of center are pretty low uh too though like we'll we'll see i need to do i need to check out uh garuba and some of these other international prospects a little bit more but yeah the pj at the five those lineups have killed offensively all season uh according to cleaning the glass over 119 points per 100 possessions they get a lot of fouls no mid-range shots everything at the rim everything a three-pointer they're really really good they're not great that great defensively uh no real surprise charlotte doesn't really have any good defensive lineups um these are perhaps some of their better defensive lineups but that could be noisy this is only like 940 possessions to, to look at um i like i like with pj that he offers this level of positional versatility mm-hmm. where you you he can float between the four and the five it's one of the things that i like about him and if anything this season and we saw it last year too for sure but some of those some of those moments were with 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 Marvin and it was sort of hard to tell like who's the four who's the five and maybe you even get some of that with uh where he, well you know Marvin was certainly like the the four round one he was one of the outside perimeter shooters and PJ would be the interior guy and maybe you have a similar sort of like setup with PJ and Miles this season I think it, the lines are a little more blurry uh because Bridges can is more of a more of a force from different areas of the court and it's not the same catch and shoot bomber that Marvin was 
I think the range you mentioned, I'd like to have it be like a, like a change up for this team. Mm. Uh, when you want to juice up the offense at the end of a half or the end of a quarter, or, you know, just a certain, it's a matchup thing or whatever. I want PJ to have some minutes at center because he's really good. And I think you can really use, take some of his skill set and give it, have it give you an advantage there. And there's a lot of two years worth of data that says, when he plays center, Charlotte's a good offensive team. Right. Um, but yeah, maybe not have it be something that he does half the time and just sort of like lighten the load a little bit on a guy that's, you know, six, seven, six, eight, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I still, it, it, I want it to be a part of his arsenal in the team's arsenal because I think he can, he can obviously do a lot of damage from that standpoint too. Yeah, even though he's six seven, he has the power to body some of the bigger centers that are bigger than him. Uh, but then he offers that versatility with his ball handling and with his playmaking as well. That that's all developing, and I, I think Borrego does see an advantage in playing him at the five. Probably we shouldn't yeah. be seeing the forty seven percent though. But uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it should come back down. I would I would assume next season he's shooting fifty eight percent on basket rolls this season. And uh, when you can have him as the five, it allows you to really get good spacing on those looks. But but he does some of that stuff at the four, too, with one of the guys mm-hmm. in the dunker spot. And that's where we can see some of his passing come online, too. But, uh, yeah, those five, the when he plays center, it allows you more easily, obviously, to get to those pick and roll looks, which is nice. I just realized all these questions deal with the center position. So the next question, yeah. when, <laughs> when are we replacing Biz? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, he's been pretty poor this season. I also think he's become an easy target for the blame in the sense that, yes, he's not been great. He drops a lot of passes. He fumbles a lot of balls. And even when he, you know, catches it somewhat cleanly, it seems like the defenders are always there to block it because he didn't catch it clean enough. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he's ever the one reason why the Hornets lose. So I think, yes, he's not been great, but I don't think he's the one that you're going to point to you know, night in and night out as the reason yeah. why he's the downfall. We do need an upgrade at this position. I think achieving that right now is harder than one would think. So to answer the question, I just think you obviously waited out to the end of the year, let the contract run out. Right, Brian? I, mean, yeah. I think that's when yeah. the replacement occurs. Yes, I think I think the, the one year, yeah, I, I think that is 100% how it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, the deal they used to bring back Biz a little over the vet minimum. And yeah, he's just, he's going to be here at like the fringes of Charlotte's rotation unless they add someone at the deadline, right? And then if that happens, then yeah, then yes, he'll be replaced, right? He'll, he'll, if they add another big guy while keeping Cody Zeller, Biz would go a rung down the ladder and would very rarely play after that. Um, short of that happening, um, and I think there's a non-zero chance of that, but short of that happening, yeah, like he's going to be like the the tenth man or whatever, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean. I just don't think you can necessarily count on Carey or Richards coming on. I do think, like, assuming Charlotte makes the the playoffs of the 48 minutes that as as unless Falchable gets in the way, that 48 of those minutes will come with Cody Zeller or PJ Washington as the five, right? So I think some of this will be like that some stuff will just get trimmed as the games start to sort of like matter a little bit more uh, provided the postseason is in their future and provided that they don't make an addition mm. at center. And then, yeah, the off season will provide them an opportunity to, to upgrade or figure out what they want to do with Cody Zeller. If he's still around, uh, we talked with div it's, he's an inter- Zeller is a really interesting stopgap uh, for Charlotte, but I don't envision sort of biz, being that, unless they really just think they can't go forward without the the Biz uh, Bismack Biombo chemistry add to the uh, the locker room, but no, I would say there are a few more months left on this before it uh, it uh, it's tabled. I don't think we necessarily should shoot that down. The the, the veteran presence. I mean, I, I do think there's some value yeah. in that. Yeah, there there has to be. Yeah. There there has to be. Yeah. Um, no, one hundred percent. There is. All right. Last question involving a trade, but also a big man. Again, the center position is on everyone's mind right now. Uh, what do you think of a trade that involves Jackson Hayes on the New Orleans Pelicans? I'm not exactly sure how he's viewed within the organization because I know earlier in the season he received several DMPs uh, quite often. Mm-hmm. I think the most obvious strength, even coming out of college, has been how athletically gifted this guy is. He's a He's obviously very young and, and can grow with the youngsters on this team. His style in the pick and roll would, I think, pair well with someone like LaMelo. 
Um, he can get up. He can be a vertical lob threat. Defensively, I think maybe this is where maybe he's still a work in progress. He's able to block shots on the back end um, and, and can make up for those mistakes. But overall, I think maybe defending out in space is something that he needs to work on. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I like this idea a lot. A young guy with a salary of around $5 million, I looked that up just now, which actually happens to be in the range of Malik Monk. I don't know if that's something that you would do straight up for or if picks would have to be included or, you know, one way or the other. But at least with Hayes and his salary, you're at least getting two more years, you know, within the system. So this is the type of trade that I think the Hornets should at least kind of be entertaining. I've always said this. We said I said it with Tom Havistro. The hardest thing about making a trade with this Hornets team is like if you're going for a big name player, and I put that in quotes. Uh, I'm not talking about Jackson Hayes, but just a big name player. You're going to have to include some salary. The top three salary guys on our team are all contributors, and it, then it feels like there's like a big gap in salary, and it's a lot of younger players. So if you're going after a younger player like Jackson Hayes, you've also got to be willing to give up a younger player. Thoughts on Hayes, Brian? I, I like Hayes as a, as a young prospect. Um, I liked him coming out of Texas. He is a freak athlete for the center position, right? Like much in the way when DeAndre Jordan first came in the league, it was like, whoa, who? how can someone this big sort of be moving like mm-hmm. this? Like, Really explosive vertical athlete, in my opinion. Maybe not, maybe not quite to like the DJ vertical ever. Like maybe he's a little bit more of a glider, but I, I sort of think he's pretty explosive vertically and can really just like move and run, just like a fluid athlete for a guy that size. And you can maybe see some of his football background come out in some of that. I thought when he was coming out of Texas, he had the chance to be a pretty good drop, like middle ground center. Like thought he had enough spatial awareness in coordination to be the guy that could sort of like drop and, and be good against the driving point guard while also sort of like being, being the guy that's like playing the middle ground and in two spots at one time. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. guarding the ball handler and also sort of like trying to contest or bother any potential, you know, lob pass that would be going to the screener and the roll man. Um, I need to watch more new Orleans and, and even when I, I mean, you can also watch the Pelicans play and just not see him, right. uh, Hayes all that much. He's been sort of in and out of the rotation and up until a couple, you know, I mean, for chunks of the season, it's been, you know, they've been playing Steven Adams who they have signed for two, at least two seasons beyond this and year. Who else they've been playing? And we've seen Willie Aaron yeah. Gomez. I mean, I've seen a fair <laughs> amount of the Pelicans simply because I watched Zion. So it's sort of hard to gauge what the, I mean, the Pelicans are like a mystery box to begin with. Like, what does this team want to do this season? Mm-hmm. What do they do want to, what do they want to do going forward around Zion, which is really the most important question. And based off of that, you know, how committed are they to some of their young guys versus trying to win now? You know, it's hard to figure like, will, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, he's in and out of the rotation. His play is inconsistent. I think they should be playing Kyra Lewis Jr. more. I mean, I would love him as a prospect. Yeah. I think like he has not been very good so far this season. You know, it's hard to be sort of be like a good winning player as a rookie point guard, but like they gotta play him more, period. I I just I, I think he's the future. You drafted this point guard, you use a top ten pick on this guy. Like you gotta you gotta play this dude. And so it's just hard to get gauge, you know, like do they see do they see uh, Jackson Hayes as like the long-term center next to Zion? Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of reasons to question that fit. Uh, they've played 200 minutes together so far this season, which is not much. They probably played very little together last season. Pelicans are minus 20 in those minutes. I don't read too much into those minutes either. I If I were the Pelicans, I would want to play those guys more down the stretch, especially if I'm like not going to make the playoffs, which they're, really teetering on the fence of the play in game scenario. Uh, so I don't even know if a guy like Hayes is, a, is, is available. He's not in that like prospect in distress category of like a Mo Bamba in Orlando or something like that. So yeah, I like, I like Hayes as a player freak athlete. I think he could become Pat like a, uh, like a, a, you know, an average defensive center and, and give you a vertical threat um, offensively. 
you know, the one thing I would say is the, the set of skills that he does provide, while maybe the, the athleticism is a little is a little more special is something that you can probably find again, not the athleticism, just like the discrete set of skills that Jackson Hayes offers is maybe something that you could find for less, you know what I mean? Than a guy that you would be trading for and then needing to sign to a new contract eventually, or what, like maybe you can find those guys for, for cheaper value. Um, But I like Hayes as a prospect and, and I, I mean, I'm certainly interested in him as a guy that could, you know, be a finisher in the middle of the court, but I just need to see more with him. And I hopefully the Pelicans will play him more uh, down the stretch here. Well, it sounds like this question asker wants to see wants to see more of him in a Hornets uniform. So uh, (laughs) I get it. It's funny. You mentioned uh, him being someone that can kind of play that in-between drop coverage. I almost wonder if, if that's something that the Hornets should do at, at points, maybe to kind of limit some of their corner threes. It feels like, obviously, Cody, um, more so than any of the other centers on our team, maybe has the ability to go high on pick-and-roll coverage. But yeah, I, I just wonder sometimes if, if, if maybe drop coverage could limit some of that stuff on, on the corner threes. Who knows? If you had to put money on it, Brian, obviously we're, I don't know how many days out here, maybe a week out. Do you think the Hornets make a trade or no? I don't yeah. I don't think they're going to make a trade. I, I don't think they're going to. There's a lot of good vibes with this team right now. And maybe you can like if you're really like trying to argue over like fixing the backup center minutes, I get that. Like I mean, I do think it's an area of concern. But if that's the case, then you're boxing yourself into the kind of deals you can make and, and how, you know, what are you willing to do to facilitate that? Richie, you mentioned some of the constraints that they have in terms of salaries for trade chips. Yeah. Um, but they have a little bit of space and they have a need. So I, I don't know, like, you know, 40% chance they, or maybe 30% chance they do something, you know what I mean? And uh, 70% that they don't, they sit, they sit pat. Um, and just try to try to ride this thing, try to ride this thing out. Uh, I mean, there were some trade. There was a report in the Athletic by Sam yeah. Amick this week about uh, the Hornets potentially shopping Devonte Graham. You know, I think Richie, we did a pod a couple week, weeks ago with Lee, where I think the three of us said across the board, like, no way that's happening. Um, maybe we'll need to sort of like reevaluate those numbers a little bit. I still don't think Devante's going anywhere. No. And I, and when I saw the report yesterday or on Monday, I should say my mind immediately went to like, well, who's floating this? Like, like how does this information get leaked out? My guess is why like Charlotte's not offering that up. Right. Like why would Charlotte say like, well, we're like, we're not sure about, you know, whether we want to you know pay this guy beyond the current contract that he's on, you know, Charlotte wouldn't offer that money up. So where's that information coming from? That That is probably, you know, uh, probably a topic for a whole other conversation, but I, I don't think it's likely. And I just think Devontae's still too important to what this team's trying to do, even knowing there's definitely a log jam at that backcourt. The one guy that I would trade as we discussed with Tom last week is just certainly not going to be available. And I also understand why, yeah. because you know, Terry Rozier is just too important to what this team's trying to do right now. And he's a, he's a, you know, he's a big time shooter. So I recognize the value for him from a win now proposition. So I'm not strongly advocating for that. It's just like, if I were to move one of these guys, he's the one that I would be a little more interested in that said, Charlotte's heading to an interesting off season ahead with um, with Devante as a free agent, with Malik as a free agent, uh, with Cody Zeller as a as a free agent, you know, Devante and Malik as restricted free agents. So yeah, we'll see. What do you, what, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I might even be lower than you in terms of 30% something happening. I, I probably would limit it down to like 15%. I, I, just, I just don't mm-hmm. see it happening. And, and yeah. again, maybe 15% is just too high in terms of how I feel about this. You kind of made it. You kind of made a slight mention about this. You know, just making a trade and the good vibes of this team. Just because you yeah. trade for a player, like that, doesn't automatically improve your team. And you've got to worry about the, the the chemistry, and you've got to worry about the locker room aspect as well. Trading yeah. Devontae Graham is even though he's a free agent, and you might not retain him next year. Uh, same thing with Monk doesn't mean you're just going to go ahead and trade them so that you can get something back in return that's going to help you this year and in future years. So 
I think Devontae brings a whole lot more, and I think people think highly of him in the locker room. And yeah, to your point, that report that came out in The Athletic, who knows where it came from, but it very well could be something that the Hornets aren't even entertaining. It's probably, like you said, it's probably coming from someone outside uh, of the Hornets there. And don't the Hornets have an open roster spot? So if if worse comes to worse, they could sign somebody uh, at the very least. Let's bring Michael. I've been saying this since last offseason. Let's bring MKG back. There you go. Why? I mean, seriously, what? Like that guy should be an NBA player. It's weird that he's not. I'm kind of surprised that Brooklyn didn't kick the can on him. He would check some boxes for Charlotte. Plus, he already has your like, you know, has like already has the the like cultural IP of of uh, having played for James Borrego for two seasons and been in the Hornets for a long time. I just like. I'm surprised that guy's not on a roster. He would make a lot of sense for Charlotte beyond just maybe the weirdness of him coming back. But like, uh, hell, I would I would be interested in doing that. So it's because he could play some center for you. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower on MKG than you are, but it's always kind of uh, interesting to kind of envision how he would be with this team because this, this team is definitely way different than in season past when, when MKG was on the team. Here's the thing, Brian. Nick Richards holds number 14 on this roster. So what's going what's to happen with that if they sign MKG? Uh, oh, gosh. That's going to that's gonna little, be... A little Kentucky one-on-one matchup between Richards and MKG to... <laughs> You could have, uh, you know, they get to pick teams. They get to pick PJ or Malik yeah. and then a little Kentucky two on two to decide uh, who's going to wear 14. The um, fact that we have that many be, Kentucky I hope it would be MKG, but yeah. Uh, yeah, who knows in this bizarre hypothetical. All right, guys, before we wrap, I wanted to read an actual review that we got on Apple podcast and just kind of let you guys know how much we appreciate the kind words on the pod. This says the BuzzBeat crew does a fantastic job of driving casual but informed conversations about the Hornets and everything going on with the organization. There are fans who aren't afraid to give honest takes without making them ridiculous, and they even know enough about the NBA to talk about the game intelligently without going over your head. And the guests seem to be getting better every week. Keep up the good work. So, Brian, I think this is actually kind of what we're, we're you know, what we attempted to go for. You know, all everything that's mentioned in this review. This is what we're trying to bring for for you guys, the listeners on BuzzBeat. So we do appreciate that. Keep those coming. And you guys could take your 30 seconds out of your day and go to Apple Podcasts. And maybe we'll read one if they get if we get one as good as this. Um, we'll definitely give it a read on here. So for Brian, I'm Richie. We will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.